a great privilege we've enjoyed over the past several weeks to be able to study the book of Haggai. And uh, I will tell you that I really enjoy studying the prophets of the Old Testament. One reason is because the prophets lived in a time which was very similar in many ways to our society today. They found themselves having to motivate people, having to encourage people, having to lead people to do what God wanted them to do. And as we have studied the book of Haggai, our first lesson was the call to build, to build a temple that God instructed them to build. They had delayed for about 15 to 16 years of getting busy, and Haggai and Zechariah pushed them to do that, and so there was the call to build. The second lesson was a call to believe. After that temple was begun, there was an idea in many people's minds, this is so insignificant, it's so small, it doesn't really have the glory that the original one had that was built by Solomon, and there was so much despondency and discouragement, and so there was a call to believe. Believe what God could do with them, and believe in the future, and particularly the future with regards to the great kingdom, the church. As you get to the end of the message of Haggai, there is a call to behave. A call to, to make sure that we are God's people as he wants us to be. To begin with, I'd like to point out the study of Haggai itself in specific has been valuable. Because it indicates the importance of the Lord's work. It's so easy to get so caught up in our everyday lives. You know, we get up on Monday morning, we get ready, we go to work, we have things that we have to do, we have obligations that we have to perform, and then we don't really think about the Lord, His church, and about what things go on until maybe Wednesday night, for many people maybe the next Sunday morning. And really, religion doesn't drive our lives. Well, Haggai's message is to emphasize the importance of putting the Lord's work first because many of us allow God's work to come somewhere along 4th, 5th, 6th, maybe even 10th. But as we studied in Matthew 6 and verse 33 this morning, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But this message is also great because it emphasizes seeing the potential in the future. What can the Church of Christ at Bobby Branch do in the future? Are we going to be content to keep house? Are we going to be content to stay where we are, both individually in our personal spiritual lives? Or are we going to grow spiritually, and are we going to grow spiritually as a congregation, and what impact are we going to have on our community, on our family, and on our friends? You see, Haggai's message is saying, see the potential that you can have in the service of God. Well, this final lesson is going to focus on behavior, and here's what we will study as we look at the latter part of this book. Verses 10 through 14, we're going to talk about being contagious or perhaps contagion would be the more accurate word. Then we're going to talk about some consequences that they were suffering and of which they were complaining. And then finally, the coronation of the great king who shall reign in the future. 
Let's begin with verses 10 through 14. Brother Jamie has already read to us verses 11 through 14. I want to bring verse 10 in with that, and then we'll notice some details. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, I will pause for just a moment and tell you that dating to Haggai was important. Because he began somewhere late August saying, Folks, it's time for you to get busy. A month and a half later, a month and three weeks later, they had started getting busy. Now we're coming to about mid-December. So you're thinking August to December. And now this is a message that is trying to focus upon the people themselves. And so he's got to talk to them using an illustration which they can grasp and which they can understand. So I want you to listen carefully as he uses this illustration, beginning with verse 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edges he touches stew, bread, stew, wine, or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it become unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Let's sort of break this down for just a moment or two. Ask the priest, what does the law say? There's a couple of things within that that's very important. It's always important to ask the first question, what does the law say? What does the law teach? If you'll notice in Luke chapter 10, verse 26, Jesus responds saying, he said to him, what is written in the law and what is your reading of it? When you pick up God's word and you read it, what does it say? Not only the, what does it say, how do you read that? How do you understand what it is saying? He wanted people to consult the Word. But why ask the priest? Because the priest was God's appointed person to whom they should go to listen and to learn. Malachi chapter 2 verse 7. Malachi is a contemporary of Haggai. For the priest of the lips, for the priest should keep knowledge, and the people should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You should be able to go to any of the priests and say, what does God tell us to do on this subject or on that subject? And he should be able to tell you. And that's so what they're doing. They're going and asking but I want you to notice the question was asked, what about holy meat? Here's meat that has been sanctified. It's been set apart. It is now holy. And the priests have what we might call an apron on. 
And in that apron was a fold in which they would sometimes carry meat because you do not want to drop it on the ground. This is holy meat. And the question is, as they are carrying it, and the edge of the fold here, the garment, touches something else, will it make it holy? And the answer is no. The response then is, well, what about if something that is unclean, like someone who touches a dead body, and he touches those same things, will it make it unclean? And they said, it will. It will make it unclean. Now here's the explanation of that. A contagion like this, one can catch a disease, but you can't catch health. Someone in our amongst, amongst us can have perhaps a bad cold or some sort of other communicable disease, and they can cough on their hands and then shake hands with you, and then you touch a part of your body and it then give you that. You can communicate a contagion. It is contagious. But when it comes to health, you can't make something that is healthy transferable to someone else. And that's exactly the point here. It's just like if you put pure water and impure water here. And if you pour pure water into this impure water, this dirty water, it won't make it pure. On the other hand, if you pour this dirty water into the pure water, it will contaminate it. So what he's trying to describe to them is the contamination process. Israel had caught the disease of worldliness. They had become unclean. They had become contaminated. And it was affecting everything they did. Had they gotten busy building on the temple? Yes. But their heart wasn't right. There was still a problem. They were still contaminated. Let's apply this just a little bit. Do we become people with a plague? Do we become people that are sinful and do we have an impact upon others? You know, the Bible is very plain about this. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, he tells us evil companionships corrupt good morals. In other words, sin can infect us and affect us in many ways. Everything they touched was contaminated. Well, let me ask you a question as we think about their mindset and what they were doing, how contaminated they were. What about us? What controls our thinking? Is it selfishness? I want to give you a little bit of background which is going on among these people. If you go with me to the book of Zechariah, to chapter 7 and verse 5, Zechariah, also a contemporary of Haggai, so you know these are the same people going through the same circumstances, he's trying to ask them about their motives when they were fasting. And so we ask it like this. Say to all the people of the land and to the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? God is asking, when you were going through this period of denying yourself food, when you were crying, when you were moaning, 
For whom were you moaning? For yourselves? Or were you doing it for me? Let me ask a parallel question. When we assemble together here, and we open our songbooks and we sing our songs, for whom are we doing it? Someone says, oh, I like that song. It's got a good beat to it. I like the melody of that song. Let's sing that song. Let's get a preacher next year for our gospel meeting who has a whole new set of good jokes to tell. He's very entertaining. Folks, for whom do we assemble and offer our worship? Is it for us or is it for God? Are we praising Him? Are we extolling God in what we say and what we do? See, that's a really important question. Are we short-sighted? These people had the problem that all they were thinking about was today and they were not thinking about what God could do and would do with them. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18, While we do not look at the things which are seen for the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal To be short-sighted means to look only at the physical and not the spiritual. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 9, He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You see, our attitude colors our perceptions and bad attitudes can be contagious. You take a congregation where you have a bunch of complainers, a bunch of whiners, a bunch of naysayers, and guess what happens pretty soon? Everybody is discouraged. Everybody is ready to give up. Everybody is ready to go somewhere else. Listen to Hebrews 12 and verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up Cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. We've got to look and see that we do not allow the contagion to infect us in our service to God. Which brings me to our second point, the consequences. Look with me now at verses 15 through 19. And now carefully consider... From this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten. When one came to a wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, there were but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew, Hail in all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet are not yielded fruit.
For from this day I will bless you. Now, there's no doubt that what he describes was the fact that the people were still presently not doing very well. It seems as if everything they were trying to do was not working out. Have you ever tried to lose weight and you cut back and the weight doesn't go away? Have you ever tried to uh, be more active physically and uh, all you end up with is pain and it doesn't work? Have you ever tried to, to do a project where you say, I'm going to try to make some extra money and, and do that and it didn't happen? Have you ever planted a garden and said, this year I am going to work my garden good, I'm going to pull the weeds, I am going to make sure that I do it all just right, and it doesn't produce? You see, you go back to chapter 1 and verse 6. You've sown much but bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one's warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. It wasn't working. And in their minds, from August now to mid-December, Lord, we've been working. Why is it not any better? Why are things not improving? Here's what happens to us many times. We suffer the consequences of our sins. We make mistakes. And then we want to say, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then... Okay, now everything's got to be right again. I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way, God said. There's consequences to our choices, to our actions, and these people don't understand that. But he says, from this day forward, I will bless you. What a gracious and merciful God he is. It's only been just a few months, but God says... From this day forward, I will bless you. You see, good behavior can result in blessings. But you get to verse 19, and there is that almost proverbial statement. Is the seed still in the barn? Are you going to get out now and start planting again? Are you going to get out now and start working again? You can't stop because if you don't sow, you're not going to reap. If you don't work, you're not going to get the rewards from work. And God is saying, I'm going to make the fig tree. I'm going to make the pomegranate. I'm going to make the olive tree. I'm going to make all those produce for you. From this day forward, I'm going to bless you. The potential is there. Now let's think for just a moment about the application of that for us. To me, this provides a great incentive for those of us who are individuals, but also for the church. There's a great lesson within it. The church can never afford to let opportunities pass because that opportunity will never come again. Do we realize that God had put before them the potential? But what have they done with it? For 16 years, absolutely nothing. And so God has said these are the consequences. I want you to listen to Revelation chapter 3, 7 and 8. 
And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. And no one can shut it. And you, For you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. The church at Philadelphia, you don't have a lot of strength. You don't have a lot of ability. But you do have an open door in front of you. Sometimes we don't open our eyes to see the doors that are there. When you get to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 16, verse 9, Paul says, For a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You know, as I go back and I read about them in building this temple, the Samaritans were working hard against them, fighting against them. Nehemiah records that in detail. But God put a door in front of them. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. John 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming in which no man can work. Here is the lesson. There's consequences that are going to follow. If we work hard, we have presented to us opportunities. We fulfill those opportunities. There's going to be something good in the future. But if we keep the seed in the barn, if we never sow, you know, sometimes people wonder why you do all these works, one here, one there. Why are we doing this project? Why are we doing that project? Things like the Autumn Street Fair, things like the campaign to sell Kirk, things like the VBS that went to Chalmette, Louisiana. These are all to sow the seed. We may not see the harvest of it immediately, but you sow the seed and God will give the increase. Now what about us as individuals? I'm, I, that's the church. That's the kingdom. What about us? What if we change our behavior? What if I have been lazy? And that is a term that the Bible uses, particularly in the book of Proverbs. What if I have not been giving my effort to try to encourage and support good things? I can change. And I know what God wants for me. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil. To give you a future and a hope. God is saying, I want to bless you. I want to help you. There's consequences to our choices. Number three, the coronation. Verses 20 through 23 provide for us an insight into the future. A coronation is when you put a crown on a king. You, you acknowledge who he is. We read verse 20 and following. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride on them. The horses and the riders shall come down. 
everyone by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. There's going to be an earth-shaking event where the Lord will triumph over the kingdoms of the world. You see, the Lord's going to rise and his kingdom will prevail. It's not just Haggai that saw that. You go back to the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar had this vision, this dream of this great image. It had a head of gold, arms and a chest of silver, belly and thighs of brass, and legs of iron and feet of part iron and part clay. And Daniel explained to Nebuchadnezzar, that represents four kingdoms. He said, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are that head of gold. And after yours will arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Talking about the Medo-Persians. From that would then develop the Grecian Empire, then the Roman Empire. And you get to verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other pieces, but it will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Same thought. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the future. He's talking about the coming of the king, Jesus Christ, and his kingdom, the church, over which he reigns. But you get to the last verse, and he speaks specifically to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. And he says, I'm going to make you like my signet ring. Now, a signet ring was a ring that was worn upon the hand of one of the rulers. And it was a symbol of his authority. Wherever that ring went, also went the authority of the ruler. Quite often, if he wanted to send a proclamation, he wanted to send a letter with the authority, he would have it written, and then they would take wax, and they would embed that ring into the wax, and they would say, that's the seal of the king. Genesis chapter 41, 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him with garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. You know what he was doing when he put the signet ring on him? He was saying, Joseph has my authority. Sometimes that signet ring can be withdrawn. You see, there was the line of people descending from David. And you come to a man by the name of Jeconiah. And Jeremiah refers to him by that shortened version, Coniah. As I live, says the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, I would pluck you off. You're not going to be able to have somebody reigning on the throne. And God took him off. When I come to the New Testament, 
to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 13. After they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begat Shealtiel. Shealtiel begat Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begat Abiathar. And Abiad begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and you come all the way down to Christ. Zerubbabel, the signet ring, the sign of the ruler, that it's through him that the Christ was going to come. You know, as I read these, I step back and say, what a blessing to see the potential realized in Christ and in his church. The call to behave, to make sure that I've got to be able to inherit those blessings. Let me make it very, very clear. Not everyone gets the blessings. Only those who behave and live as God would have them to live. In Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Well, how did I get to be a, one of his followers? For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You see, tonight, we're going to end this lesson with the Lord's invitation that you can be a part of those great blessings, a part of that great kingdom which these prophets saw. If you need to become a child of God through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, or as one who needs to return to faithfulness, we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.